Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. And I'll never see nine again. The Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 311, a.k.a. Hellcat, is sponsored by Snunch, the meal between snack and lunch. Pete, as we enter the home stretch here for Jessica Jones in the rearview mirror, we have our Marvel movie podcast on The Eternals, suggested by a listener, and of course looking ahead to all the San Diego Comic-Con goings-on and the coverage we will have next weekend. We got your Star Trek universe, we got your Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we got your regular Marvel uh presentation going on essentially everything that we cover rolled into one place and one weekend with that it's time for some surveillance let's see what the episode was all about the episode is written by jane espenson formerly of buffy the vampire slayer battlestar galactica and game of thrones it is directed by Jennifer Getzinger, veteran of last season's, a.k.a. I Want Your Cray Cray, Outlander, Agent Carter, Daredevil, and Mad Men. Flashback to Dorothy's eulogy, and flashback to 10-year-old Trish being coached for a part by her mother. Give more effort or we'll lose everything that we haven't sold already. You got this? Fast forward to Trish finding her mother's body, processing that Salinger did the deed. Trish has got this, too. We see her push through the NYPD in Salinger's building, her bursting through the door, fighting him into the light he wants, light she doesn't know he needs. She quickly downs him, beating and slicing him and scratching him. She's ready to knife him too, but as we know, Jessica stops her. Fast forward to Jessica cleaning Trish up, to Trish overhearing Costa's call, seeing Jerry's news conference to unmask the masked woman. Flashback to the red-headed 10-year-old Trish, the producer, Dev, has red hair, too. In her flophouse hotel room, Trish hears the couple next door fighting, and Malcolm comes with a change of clothes. The story stays after Malcolm leaves. The rowdy man next door gets a beating courtesy of Trish. We rejoined the greatest hits when Jess and Erica visited. This time we stay with Eric, who calls for a game, and then returns to Jessica's plan to free Salinger. Cut to slow-mo Trish at the hospital where she's turned away by the NYPD, but Salinger, recuperating, calls her in. He tells her he doesn't need to kill her. The NYPD will, when they find out she assaulted two cops. He also talks about murder being a byproduct of his work, the pictures, of which she's not seen the latest. It's an honest portrayal, hidden, obviously. Trish returns home, saying she needs to get something belonging to her mother. She shrugs off the bloody crime scene and opens a photo album reading It's Patsy. Flashback to Trish having gotten the part of the best friend. How about she calls to fill in for the sick lead? Just the table read. Make it happen. Later, we see Trish swooping in at the table read, hitting a home run. Back in the present-ish day, Trish finds the picture of her mother's painful portrayal by Salinger. She goes to see Eric, who's not in a fighting mood. He does, however, want to help her. Can't she save lives by taking down the baddies he knows? He does know a dirty cop, and she'd be happy to bring justice with a capital J. Get Nussbaumer to meet us, stat. He does in the prototypical Queen's Warehouses so popular for Marvel Netflix. 
Nussbaumer enters, gun drawn, Trish recounting his sins. She catches him and has him talk about his sin while Eric, hidden, records. Trish knocks Nussbaumer down one more time, taking his badge, but he's bleeding out badly before taking his last breath. Eric laughs. His pain is gone. At the funeral home, Trish is waiting for Jess and sees breaking news about Nussbaumer's death. Outside, the NYPD detectives start to question her, with them digging into Jessica as the person of interest in Nussbaumer's death. Later, Trish and Eric talk it over, seeing how the police could assume it was Jess. The solution, the masked killer could strike again while Jessica is in public. It'll be an alibi and an out. Time to find another baddie. Flashback to young Trish being told to act like a GD adult by her mother who anticipates Trish getting the lead. A hundred people will feed their families for years based on this lead, Trish. Don't do it and you're selfish. Later, we see the completion of the Patsy pilot and mom pitching Patsy's name in the title. You know who will love it? ABC. In the main-ish timeline, Trish and Eric are giving the trace to Jace Montero. He's burned buildings and killed people in order to build new there. We'll get him later. Now, it's funeral time. First, though, Trish has to get ready. Knock, knock, it's Jerry who wants to help. After all, she's got video proof of the unmasked woman. Jerry needs someone to color outside the lines, and it's Patsy. After the funeral, the NYPD is back, looking for Jess. Eric and Trish need to act fast, but wait until daytime. Eric picks up Trish's tail. It's Jessica. He calls 911. That's how the police knew to surround Jess last episode. That night, Jace is working late when the masked woman enters. Time to confess. He admits to 14 deaths. He's worse than Nussbaumer and gets knuckle sandwiches to match. Trish keeps on hitting, seeing Salinger in her mind, and Jace Montero fades into the great beyond. At least Trish has Nussbaumer's badge to leave. Eric is agog that she's killed again, but she sees it as a gift. She knows who's next. What suspects draw our focus in this episode? Pete, let's start with Dorothy, who says to act like a GD adult. And pinches and otherwise threatens her daughter here. The, the manipulation, everything. And I know we've had Jessica say that uh, Dorothy helped to create Trish and the, the person that she is who wants to do good but via an abusive, manipulative template. Quick tangent here, but on topic for Dorothy as stage mom. I remember, I don't know, a month or two ago, my daughter was watching uh, the Addams Family movie on Netflix, and all of a sudden I was like, all right, what happened to the Pugsley actor? Start clicking around a little bit. You know, had a decent go as a child actor, stopped, you know, as many child actors do. And as I'm on his Wikipedia, I'm like, Okay, he's got two relative. He's got two siblings, and one of the names. It's not the same last name. It's familiar. Where do I know the name Ariel Winter? Oh, that's the girl from Modern Family. Oh, they're siblings. A little bit more clicking. The third sister was an actress too, and ended up helping. I believe both children sue for um, independence from the mother. So. Chanel Workman, who, you know, you haven't heard much of, Jimmy Workman, who played Pugsley, and then Ariel Winter, who's had, you know, a much more prominent career, they are all legally, you know, uh, emancipated from 
their stage mother who was so terrible to them as children. And it's just a little bit of a reminder, I think, that, you know, we get little snippets of it in this episode. And certainly nobody's saying, you know, say GD to your kid or pinch or manipulate and this and that and the other. But this is a real thing that really happens. And we kind of see the softball version of it in Dorothy in this episode. Yeah, from the way that she advises her daughter to act to later on, all right, you know, we're going to hop the line there. And, you know, she has details on the showrunner, then sabotaging the table read and then even suggesting the names for the show uh, in the TGIF schedule, Matt, not not as if we're not keeping it in the uh, ABC Studios family. Yes, thank goodness they mentioned ABC, a Disney property. <laughs> That's synergy. But yeah, it's just this, I mean, on the one hand, we know that the run of It's Patsy was successful. And okay, mom does have a point that a successful venture like a TV show does employ hundreds of people. But man, to put that on a 10-year-old, like at the end yeah. of the day, hit your marks, read your lines. You hope you have a good career. If the only thing a child actor does is the one show and they cannot, you know, bamboozle away all the money you know they're comfortable for life as they enter whatever the next career is as opposed to the trish path of rehab and you know that that downward spiral that we know she went on from dorothy here to the big bad of the season in salinger and i love matt that for the second time here we've seen him be ready to face one of our female superheroes and just absolutely get his behind handed to him. He does, although not before invoking uh, this notion of, hey, you assaulted two police officers, not even contributed to the death or something like that. You assaulted two police officers. I don't need to kill you. The police will do it for me. Really, if nothing else, hammering home something that we've seen in this villain this season, which is kind of this reliance of this in-house, you know, I'm part of, I'm part of the club, whatever that is, the, the, the power club, the, whatever it might be, you are not as an outsider. Therefore you better watch out for people like me. Yeah. And all of the privilege and all of the bluster that comes with that. And really, what is he at the end of the day? He's a dude who, uh, though he's got a knife, gets taken down and gets his face scratched up. We also have Eric on the list. And Pete, I know he's doing bad things, and I know he deserves to be a suspect in this episode. That said, I don't know, Pete. I feel like it's I feel like it's it's a judgment call to have him on this list because you know does he does he kill either of the people killed in this episode no do i fault him for the laughter that he gives as nussbaumer's life fades away from him i mean not really it's a relief of pain not a joy in the lack of a you know or the joy in the life being taken so why is he a suspect i think He's the springboard that allows two lives to be taken, so that can't be ignored. Um, I was a little surprised the way they played this. So if he gets these terrible headaches, and again, it's a it's a strange superpower. I mean, we can see why he's been included in this season, because, again, he allows 
he's the radar by which they can they can tell bad people because it's not immediately apparent, you know, who's an arsonist, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it's surprising that they play him in a way that he wouldn't look to remove more of these headaches from the world. And that's where I thought they might be going like, oh, I feel better again. It, let's let's eliminate more of this weight on my shoulders. And instead, he's recoiling from it, which we can admire and we can see the good in. Um, but his ability still makes it possible for people who are going to go too far. And granted, Trish wasn't attempting to murder either suspect in Nussbaumer or Jace Montero, but she lost the edge and she did. Well, you mentioned Nussbaumer and he, of course, back here in this, uh, this sort of flashback style episode. And Pete, I know that uh, episode 302, that was the Trish focused one, had a similar structure in terms of uh, time jumps and whatnot. What struck me as curious with not just the Nussbaumer scenes here, but the episode as a whole, like, was all of this shot new or was director Jennifer Getzinger tasked with shooting 25 new pages and the other 20 pages or so of the script were going to be edited out of stuff already shot with an eye towards this? Or does it portend, you know, did, did they have to fight over 12 episodes versus 13 episodes and this came out as a compromise? But Bottom line is we get Nussbaumer back here and uh, up to his usual no good. And to see his end uh, when he thinks it's Jessica as first. Um, it, definitely an other 48 days vibe to this, Matt. The, the other Hellcat days. Indeed. And we also get some new perspective here on Jace Montero. Uh, I think also probably first and foremost, we get the understanding really of the the ill he has done arson being bad enough arson as fraud being worse the fact that eight no 10 no 12 no 14 people have died in these fires makes it truly horrific and you know again in a fake tv show context i'm kind of okay that he he fades out at the end albeit you know now stymieing the attempts of trish and eric to uh hashtag free jessica jones a developer matt who has bought things and done bad things. Such delightful fiction. It really is. I don't know what inspires them here, but uh, it'll be interesting to see. <laughs> I guess, first of all, Pete, it'll be interesting to see, do Nussbaumer and Montero return again in some sort of flashback? I guess we can't count them out here. But you know, ultimately, what is the effect of his death? And uh, in speaking of suspects here, we must return to Trish, who accidentally kills two people in this episode i mean you say accidentally but and and super strength as she said was not part of the package but she overdoes it Nussbaumer is far more of an accident than montero is you would think she'd yoke back knowing all right last time i hit a guy too hard he hit a thing he hit his head on the floor he bled out that was unfortunate, unintended. She beats the life out of Jace Montero. 
Well, Pete, a uh, quick search of my law degree and or Google search for second-degree murder. Uh, second-degree murder is the intentional, uh, an intentional killing that was not premeditated. I, I kind of feel like that's what's going on here. This is not, you know, kind of that catch-all TV purpose of third-degree murder where, you know, oops, I didn't realize that when I pushed the button on the forklift, it would drop the heavy things on you, nor is this kind of the lengthy plan of a first-degree murder, but, you know, certainly it is serious, and I think to have that category of second-degree murder, that that really captures, that captures uh, Trish's situation here, where, fine, she didn't necessarily plan to kill either men, either of the men, but in the moment, you know, was was aware enough of what she was doing. Cryptology, where we uncover hidden messages and larger themes. Pete, first one from me. Though Jace Montero is dead, we see that the badge is left with him. One can very reasonably assume that Jessica Jones is in police custody at the time of the killing. Is this enough to get her out in some sort of magic hand wave at the beginning of the next episode? Probably not. You get a sense that, all right, dead body though he's got the uh, badge, how is he dead? It leads to more of a rabbit hole than it does a solution. Add to that the fact that she is on film with the masked woman jumping down and, you know, her jumping up away with her. So I think that it'll be interesting to see how these remaining uh, handful of episodes handle the fact that she is, she's publicly connected to the masked woman and fine. If let's suppose Jessica Jones is in police custody, then Montero uh, shows up dead. The magic police badge, which has been, you know, kind of find the hidden police badge that links his death to Nussbaumer's death. And she's, you know, she's in custody. Well, still there's this connection between her, you know, have they written themselves into a corner? Do they magically juke and jive out of it? Time will tell. Why would Trish show her face to Salinger when she went to attack him? Uh, story or maybe just rage. You know what, Pete, I, I will take back my somewhat snide, you know, because story says so. I think she wanted him to see that he had killed her mother and it was not Jessica Jones, uh, the, 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 the powered person, the patsy, lowercase p, uh, who is now going to be manipulated by rage into whatever his diabolical plan was. It was Dorothy's flesh and blood daughter who now was coming to reap powered vengeance against him. And she wanted him to see that, that he had, he had used the wrong person in Dorothy to get to the wrong person. I mean, I buy it. It was to have been her first murder. Uh, and again, not that she planned it, but the moment that her mother was taken from her, uh, her intent on vengeance. But yeah, it's really led to where we are. And I can't help but think it's going to create a situation similar to season two where Jessica is going to be, you know, put in a position I was going to potentially have to take my mother down. Do I have to take my, you know, surrogate sister down? I feel like the audience wants there to be the happy conclusion. Uh, again, I know I keep bringing it up, but again, with this expectation that during production, 
the closer we get to the end of this season, they must have been working under the assumption that they too would not get another season. Melissa Rosenberg leaving, these other shows being canceled uh, during the production of this season. Certainly by the time you get to editing and whatnot, do you make choices here, choices there? Do you shoot two endings, the happy to be continued, or pardon me, the happy you know, canceled at the end of the season ending? Do you do another version of it that's the to be continued for season four ending? All these, I think, are editorial choices that can be going on behind the scenes. I hope that they give us Jessica Jones and Hellcat and maybe Eric right off into the sunset. The world hopefully better than not, despite the the ill that those three have caused. So the Nuss Bomber death and how that all goes down, could not there have been some kind of defense? This was a horrible guy. We had him. We were trying to wrap him up with a bow to give to the cops as a, you know, a drug, uh, drug dealer, murderer of, you know, teens. And we roughed him up. He fell. Going to throw myself on the, uh, the mercy of the court. But we took uh, a bad guy down instead of we're going to take his badge and we're going to plant it with another bad guy. Couldn't there have been some way out of that? I think possibly, but the fact that the show has continued to return to this, um, you know, inside the tent mentality of the NYPD. And if you cross a cop, you're going to get, you know, a hundred times worse punishment back. I think the show has insulated itself from what you're suggesting as a story alternative, uh, or at least as a reasonable alternative from the perspective of uh, Trish and Eric and to a you know di- different degree, Jessica. But I think, again, there's this notion that they've crossed the line with this NYPD and they're going to pay a far deeper price than you know Lady Justice blindfolded and objective. Eric's vanishing headaches... I get it, but why doesn't Trish cause headaches? Um, I suppose at the I suppose the best answer in universe is that he he is not perceiving what she does as evil. Now I don't know. And again, this is kind of this this area where it's superpowers, it's story magic. So does it need to? You know, like, is this driven by what he perceives or is this driven by some sort of objective good and evil? You know, it's probably kind of as the story demands. And I'm not suggesting that therefore the story is weak. Just, you know, as with any superpower, you know, Pete, Counselor Troy's ability to read what's out there depends on whether they need her to say, wait, I can sense Will on the shuttle or I have no idea because we it's minute five of the episode. Same thing here, you know, whether it's whether his power is detecting good, with, good and bad with a capital G and a capital B or his own perspective, it's just not rising to the level of badness that sets off his uh, his headaches. Let's check our mail drop. Here's what you have to say. Pete, what do you have? Robert T. Frost writes in to the Fantastic Geek Facebook page. Matt and Pete, life has been extremely busy, like stuffing 10 pounds of life into my 
five-pound bag. So I'm playing catch-up with Jessica Jones this season, and I'm so glad PG is right there with me. I've enjoyed JJ this season, and you have asked a few questions, so I'll do my best to answer. In episode 306, Pete was questioning the chain of evidence, and as an audience, we see the chain well enough. A prosecutor has a virtually non-existent chain, and a jury would have an even harder time seeing it. Detective Costa said it right when he said that he has to help build a case that the prosecutor can walk the jury through from point A to B to C to D and on to a successful prosecution. Unfortunately, there is no physical evidence incriminating Salinger for anyone to follow. And even though he attacked and stabbed JJ, he was masked and gloved. He even took back the knife used in the attack. So what we are left with is an eyewitness who can play Salinger at the train car. But this is where the chain of evidence makes some jumps for Detective Costa. Let's say the chain starts at G for Costa. But how did we get there? Points A to F are all Jessica Jones and Eric, two of the best, worst witnesses around. JJ would have to walk the jury through her whole investigation, from the assault to tracking down Salinger to Malcolm removing evidence through Eric's undocumented superpower that is most likely a Sokovia Accords violation. How well could JJ testify? I foresee impatience and aggravation with the prosecutor at best and outright hostility with the defense attorney. As for Eric, I'm sure he would be charged for his blackmail. One count of grand larceny by extortion for each, quote, victim, unquote, with a possible four years in prison for each count. The prosecutor could offer him a deal to testify against Salinger. Such deals happen all the time to varying degrees of success. The prosecutor would have Eric testify to his deal they made best to put it out there plainly, but it would be up to Eric's ability to favorably present himself while testifying. I've seen upright, honest citizens come off as pompous, egotistical braggarts that totally turned off and disgusted the jury. Conversely, I've seen felons who own their crimes and general, quote, badness, unquote, who told the jury they'd be stupid not to take the deal to better their own situation. And the jury found them to be the most believable witnesses because they were the most real. So given the less than ideal witnesses in Eric and JJ and no physical evidence, it's not surprising that the prosecutor passed on issuing a warrant. In episode 307, there is a very simple answer to JJ's denied request to see the police files. She needed to file a FOIA, sometimes known as a FOIA, Matt, I'll add that, Freedom of Information Act request. Under New York law, the Wappinger Falls PD would have five days to respond to the FOIA, effectively delaying JJ's investigation and giving us the story reason for her to steal the files. Matt commented on the ability of defense attorneys to defend the guilt. I've spoken with attorneys that I respect 
and what they have told me is that it's not trying to set the guilty free as much as it's holding the state accountable for its actions, that the defendant's civil rights are being respected, pro uh, procedures followed, etc. This helps to hold us all to the unique standards we enjoy in our free country, the presumption of innocence, a jury of our peers, and proof beyond a reasonable doubt. These are precious rights and responsibilities that set our country apart from the world. Finally, I was so glad to see that Chief Velasco didn't try to take Trisha's phone that she was recording with. We have had enough rulings telling us that videotaping the police in the performance of their duty is protected under the First Amendment, and officers cannot confiscate them as evidence. The best you can do is ask the person who is taping if they would share it with you via a department email. I've had very little success with the requests as most wish to post it on social media. Another, finally, concerning the picture that Salinger took of Trish with a knife to his throat. When I watched that scene, I thought the picture was photoshopped. Oh, and how did the crime scene evidence technicians miss the camera? And truly the last, who do I think killed Officer Nussbaumer? The Hellcat, with lining up the evidence to point at Eric, because without Eric, Trish still has her mother. There's so much more to write about, but I think this is one of the longest responses I've ever submitted, so I'll call it quits for now. Apologies for my rambles, your friend, Bob. Well, Pete, certainly no need for Bob to apologize there. That was truly fascinating to hear. I mean, absolutely fascinating from his perspective as a law enforcement officer and somebody who has greater insight into these, uh, these topics than we do. Uh, I certainly will agree with him as to the importance of defense attorneys and wholeheartedly agree that that's an important part of the judicial system. Um, uh, I know my point was kind of more kind of morally, how do you get through this? I know he was addressing it um, there as, as part of the larger system um, and also so appreciative that he shared that insight uh, for, for things like chain of custody. I mean, you really can understand um, the conclusions. I think the episode very ably communicated in terms of here's why the prosecutor is not going to move forward. They gave it to us in five or 10 seconds and, and Bob explained uh, more specifically how that would be the case. It's nice to know that for all of these things, you know, Wappinger Paul, Falls PD not immediately sharing, et cetera, that it's, it is following that, that kind of real-world consistency, even though, the, you know, ultimately the show can kind of cheat and go, oh, MCU, if they wanted to, although that's not the flavor of this show, nor largely this universe. Matt and I talk all the time off mic about how we're continually astounded by the dedication, the expertise of our listeners. And I think that really sets us apart as a podcast. And uh, Robert T. Frost here, Officer Robert T. Frost, coming in practically as a consultant in such matters. Yes. And you know what? I appreciate that he continues to watch these shows and listen to the podcast, uh, both of which occasionally do cover uh, topics of fictional police corruption, police brutality, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. We don't see the best version 
of the NYPD in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, particularly these uh, Marvel Netflix shows. And I will just assume that's not always great for him as a law enforcement officer to see people at at less than their best in such a noble profession. Um, and certainly I don't think, I think that when we bring it up, we're not bringing it up with an agenda. You know, these, these two detectives, Pete, you know, fictional as they are, are out to, you know, out to pin Nussbaumer's uh, death on Jessica Jones because they have, I mean, I guess the evidence, there is an evidence case to be made. Also it's, you know, in-house they messed with Nussbaumer who, you know, whatever, whatever, We'll just let his whatevers go aside. We have to catch the killer of, of somebody from inside the club. Um, I appreciate that stuff like that doesn't necessarily turn off Officer Frost to, uh, to our discussions. In such a polarized time, Matt, it's so easy for people on one side or the other of the thin blue line to say, this makes police look bad we are framed i will not watch and i appreciate the open mind that uh bob watches this with knowing that a bad cop does not indict everybody of a certain profession well pete from bad cops to good cops particularly those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek we could not do it without you keeping that back catalog up keeping our future sustainable all the different projects that we have cooking ahead. It's uh, all made possible by the people who share that support. Everybody who contributes to patreon.com slash fantastic geek gets access to exclusive podcast content. All it takes is a dollar to get you in the door. You can uh, donate any amount. You can create the Pete body cam version. I'm, I'm willing to, to go through that if it helps us pay a couple more bills. <laughs> well, Pete, all sorts of perks there, but the best is a freebie. It's talking to you on Twitter, and how can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-10,590. Followers can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do me a touch the podcast, comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with the P, with the H, like it today. Well, Pete, in addition to this upcoming weekend uh, having our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. coverage, and we will be working our way through San Diego Comic-Con coverage, can't can't promise that we're going to get out a giant supersized episode uh next sunday we'll we'll see the amount of info that we have to work through first uh but we of course will start our last week of podcasting new jessica jones episodes uh it's coming on sunday it's coming on wednesday then we'll of course do a series wrap up from there but the end truly and sadly in sight but with that i will say adios to all our listeners and give you pete the final word I ordered beef brisket, not sea biscuit. <laughs> <laughs>